This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allowed with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, John. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So, John, welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you here. Would you like to tell us, just to give us a bit of an introduction about yourself, how long have you been sober? <clears throat> I've been sober 29 years, 11 months and 6 days. Wonderful. Welcome to the show and it's lovely to have you here. Do you want to just um, give us a bit of an idea about, you know, who you are? I, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, your life. Do you got children, family? No, I'm a 66-year-old single man, never been married. Excellent. Um, I'm the youngest of five children. Okay. And, and I, th- I believe I'm the only one with alcoholism. Wow. But, but it is in the family. So let's delve straight into what was it like growing up, youngest of five? It was good. It was good. You know, I, I, I come from a middle middle income family, um, just a normal you know, it was state of a state house area, and then my parents bought a house, and um, yeah, lovely, lovely people they were. And my brothers and sisters are very, very good to me. Have been good to me over the years when I've got myself in trouble. Right. So and you the, have a relationship with them today. Yeah, for sure. Wonderful. Yeah. And have you always had a relationship with them, or has that been something that's been part of your journey? No. Yeah, I've always had a relationship, but they've always. Um, had crosswords, uh, crosswords with me when I got into myself, got myself in trouble with the police <laughs> or financially and that sort of stuff. Sure, but sure. They've been very supportive. Okay. And they've all got children. So tell us, okay, let, let's let's jump straight into it. When did you start drinking, and how did it progress? I started at probably ten, ten, twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, Brothers, brothers had their mates around on sometimes late nights on Friday nights, or that was in the summer when they didn't play rugby or Sunday sessions, and they'd play cards. And there was okay. a half cheese and quart bottles, and there was always a bit of froth at the bottom. And I'll get you another one out of the fridge or the chili bin, <laughs> and so on and so forth. And I and I drank the drinks. Wow! And I, you know that's and I thought, wow, yeah, this is pretty good stuff. And um, so, how did it progress through your teens and into your early childhood? Uh, uh, <coughs> not childhood, adulthood. Yeah, through, through <laughs> my teens, I, was, um, I, I played a lot of rugby, and um, and I had a lot, we had a lot of parties. And I, all, I'm all recollect, recollect straight away that I was always a blackout drinker, right from the word go. From um, I was a butcher by trade in my time, mm-hmm. so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Lot, and parties and other friends and that sort of stuff in the industry, um, <coughs> rugby racing and beer, basically. And, and your intention was to drink, to get drunk, and ultimately would come black out. Yeah, yeah. It was, but it wasn't the intention. It was just to drink, it was have just a, a drink. have a good time, have a thing, and it filled. And, and as a child, I'd be playing in one area, and I felt that I was looking. I needed something else, so I went over there. And when I got over there, I needed to be positioned oh, from A to B. Then when I got to B, one of the bands C. Mm. I was always looking for something else. Sure, I was looking sure. for the next to fill up. I felt inferior. I felt as I was an illegitimate child of my my mother's spinster sister, and, and I was adopted by them, and so on and so forth. But that wasn't the case. I, I just, I just not fit, did not fit in. And I've spoken to quite a few members of this program who've always said they've said as well mm. that we feel inferior and we don't fit in. And that was something that your thinking had made mm. up. 
and and uh, wow. So tell us what was it like as you entered adulthood, um, and you know, did you at any point realise this isn't normal, uh, or this isn't how I want to, to drink? And did you try to stop? Um, not really. Didn't think about it at all. Right, right through, right to the when I got sober at thirty-seven. Right, but there, there were times when when I was I'd run out of, run out of cash, bookies were looking for me, um, and I couldn't have to I'd have to change hotels, um, so on and so forth. And lo and behold, it was always my parents that bailed me out. Sure, sure. And um, you know, we talk about consequences and and jobs and money and um, you know trouble with the law. Um, that was something that you could relate to. <clears throat> never, never really got much. I never had a driver's license till I was about twenty-three. Right. Because I worked, started working for a um, family friend. They had a business, and then I had to drive the van. And so, you know, I never got caught drunk driving. Mm. I was always had friends that could pick me up and drop me off, mm. and mm. so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I never. Never got in trouble with the law, really. I, I did get in trouble towards the end of, when I was sober. Was that um, <clears throat> I'd run out of money, and I was cashing checks from okay. the bank, and the bank. Yeah. So in the end, I got I got done for um, um, presenting documents for pecuniary advantage, which they call as bouncing checks. Right. I got in trouble for that. Right. And um, so talk to us about your relationships. So other, you know, you've, you've talked about your relationship with your family and that, that's actually something that you've maintained over yeah. the years. Um, you know, did you have a decline in your mental state? Yeah, there was moments. Of, there was moments towards the end of my drinking that I was depressed and that was drinking through gambling and so on and so forth, and you know. But I'd always, I'd had a I'd had a few meaningful relationships with ladies over the years, but nothing. And some got, some got in the way of the of the mm. drinking, so mm. then they got they got shoved to the side. Mm. And it was always mm. it was always something. I was and I was heavily involved with um, sport. Right, right. So a lot of your life in yeah. that in that um, culture. Yeah, very that, much so. Yeah. Um, so did you at any point realise this isn't normal and I'd like to stop or uh, I should stop or I should do something about this? No. You didn't think you had no. a problem? I, well, well, I thought it was. Uh, I thought life was the problem. Yeah. That it was always, I was unlucky mm-hmm. and life, you know, it was, it was one day it would change. Okay. It may change that I was going to be at, I was going to have sure. money. Um, yeah. But I, I talk about sometimes on, in, in the in the program when I share is that um, I was sitting in a public bar drinking alcohol. I'm, I was thirty seven years old. I'd never been married, had no children, and had seven. And when I came into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I had seventy four cents in the bank. So I was quite successful. I could tell you how to run your run your, <laughs> run your life, make money, have have children, and have a have a successful wife and relationship. But that was a load of rubbish. Wow. It was just I lived in that fantasy, and I've been led to believe some from my old timers that I've, I've spoken to before, before after I've come on this program, that we live in some sort of fantasy land. And I'd wake up in the morning after those drinking sessions, and I was in a cross between Blackadder, um, Faulty Towers, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, <laughs> 
And that's what it was like sometimes because of the consequences of my drinking. And that sometimes that was just that was just my lot. That was it. And I never knew anything until I came in this program. And so you've mentioned, you know, when you came into the rooms, the state, I guess, that you've described to me. Um, is that what you would describe as your rock bottom and what brought you into the into the rooms? Yeah. Um, t- t- towards the end of my drinking, I, I could... I knew a lot of people through winter sport and summer sport. Mm-hmm. And I'd end up, I'd start off some hotel or a party or whatever, and I'd end up some other the other side of town with people I didn't know, whatever and whatever. And I knew that someone lived in such a, an area where they lived, and I'd been there before. And I could knock on their door, and there was always a couch or a bed. To, regardless to of the regardless time. Regardless of time. <laughs> but towards the end, I used to get, I used to get drunk. And I used to wet myself, mm-hmm. whether it be on their on their couch, on their bed, open up their rubbish bins in the in the in the kitchen, where I think it was the lid of a toilet, and so on and so forth. And you know the rest. And um, towards the end, I could go. I'd go somewhere, knock on their door, and in the end, they'd throw me a pillow or a blanket and say nut. And say nut. So the only one they have me in the end were my elderly parents. Mm-hmm. And I used to do the same thing there. Mm-hmm. So in the back of my mind. The best place for me to go was to sleep. It was in Hagley Park and the changing sheds. Wow. And whichever way the wind was blowing or the rain was going, I knew which, which side of town, which side of the park to sleep on or which park to sleep on and so on and so forth. And I couldn't get myself in trouble. I, could, I wouldn't... I used to say that I destroyed my morals. I was going to say alcoholism. the shame... Yeah, for sure. You didn't get the shame from sleeping in the park that no. you got from... Well, no, no one knew I was sleeping in the park, so they had where would I get the shame? But then I'd wake up, wet the bed, wet someone's couch or so on, mm. and, and that destroyed mentally. Mm. That mm. Towards the end, it was, it was anguish. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was it that brought you to your first AA meeting or your first introduction to recovery? I woke up in Hagley Park yet again mm-hmm. and um, walked around for a while, and, my, and I say this a bit too, my, my, my feet were stuck to my socks and my socks were stuck to my shoes. And I walked around and ran by the, in the botanical gardens and I went to go to the bank. And ATMs were just coming out. And I put, my, put the card in and there was 74 cents. If there'd been $10.74, I would have gone to his lordships. Mm. But that wasn't the case. So then I walked around and walked over to Hillmorton, or what is called Hillmorton now, mm-hmm. and um, sat there for a couple of hours and they had me nice cups of tea and chatted. And then I spoke to some person. A, a, um, a position or whatever, and he said, and I, and before that, I'd been went for a game of golf at um, Tap and a week later, I'm in the uh, I'm, I'm in a hotel in Blenheim, and then I rang the police. The police come pick me up, to, and I was in a mental asylum and at Wairau Hospital in Blenheim for a week. Wow, things like that. And I had wow. brain scans. And at the bottom of this page, it says the head neurologist for Christchurch thinks this man may have an alcohol problem. Wow. We know someone that can help you. And this person rang me. They rang someone. This person rang me. And he came and picked me up. I looked mm-hmm. out the window. And lo and behold, it was someone I played rugby with. It was someone that he worked with. And he'd been sober just on 11 months. Wow. That's, isn't that amazing? <laughs> that's, how it, that's how it happened. And that's, I call that synchronicity. But... And that's um, and so tell us what you know. What was that first AA meeting like for you? Uh, there was only three people there. 
Wow. <laughs> that, that's, that's quite different than, than some at, of the meetings at, we see today. Yeah, at Hillmorton on a, on a Monday night. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, and, and the, the, the other guy, it was someone I, I knew. It was their brother, and he'd been sober a couple of years. And then um, I'd go to meetings and people would share about things that happened in their lives that otherwise that people would drink for, loss of family, like children being having accidents and stuff. And the man that took me to my first meeting, he was out selling biscuits and his daughter got hit by a car and got killed. He never drank. Two or three years later he got cancer. He never drank. And he, he, and he, and he passed away sober. And we used to go to his house sit around his bed, six or seven of us sit around the bed and just talk and 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 um we were there for him, not for whatever. And and and, and, and it just showed me that other people could do it. And I used to listen to the stories and I, and I used to nod and then I'd say, Oh, that's me and done that and then sometimes a bit of hilarity, like you'd wake up somewhere and, and whatever and there's a bit of laugh. People not laughing at me, they were laughing mm. with me mm. to the situations that I'd been become um, attuned so to towards the end. The similarities. Oh, very much that so. Is is where we we often laugh when people come into the program and wonder why people are happy and joyous and free. There's a lot of other reasons, but we can also laugh with each other. Mm, much so. And um, and so tell us, you know, what what do you do in the times where life is tough? You know, and how do you cope with some of the Things that come along today that, um, like you mentioned, others haven't had to drink over. Mm. Um, well, I think it was the second or third meeting went out to it was Hornby on a Thursday night, and the man that was in the chair spoke about that. I have a use what you read out earlier on that we had a mental obsession combined with a physical allergy, and then there was 20, 20 seconds silence. And I'm looking around the room, and there's banners on the wall that mentioned God and so on and so forth, and I thought. Um, uh, a Bible bashing or something great, and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. You know, and I've met wonderful people on this program since. And and then he said, after twenty or thirty seconds, he said, "Can fix with a spiritual remedy." And I didn't want to. Do, I, I didn't want to do with um, God as such per mm. se. So um, because of my religious upbringing, but I found that other people, as I said before, people showed courage. In in the moments of when they lost severe loss, tragic loss, Mm, drama mm. and trauma and so on and so forth, and they showed me the way by by keep coming back talking about how they did it. And today, I I don't have a God as such, but I have a strong faith and belief system that I'll be I'm going to be okay. And And we and we talk about AA being a spiritual program, not a religious program. And for you, that is true. Very much so, and so. When I wake up and and I and I've been taught, believe that I wake up in the morning I have it. For me, is in the turmoil when I when I'm uncomfortable. The disease of alcoholism wants to take over, and um, so I do I do five five book readings in the morning, which helps me to change my mental mental obsession, mm-hmm. which takes it a foot lot down to my heart, and it makes me feel. The other, which is in a tranquility, I'm at peace with myself, and enables me to um, get through moments of, mm-hmm. you know, there's moments that I'm down, and I, I do not want to communicate with anyone. Mm. Don't want to. Mm. Don't want to. I, 
I don't want to. Yeah, I'm not interested in people. I, 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 you know, there's lots of isms. I seek misery. I'm, I'm, you know, incredibly, yeah, I won't mention all those, but, um, so I enjoy the program. And the thing is that I can go to a meeting anywhere in Christchurch, anywhere in Canterbury, anywhere in New Zealand and walk in the door and be welcomed by people who have felt they're the same as I have. Which, mm. which is pretty good. So, how would you describe your life today? Uh, pretty good. When I wake up in the morning, when I have those moments of, it, I don't need to go to a hotel, walk in the door, sit down. The guy beside me said, "How are you feeling today?" And I said, "I feel lonely, vulnerable, and fragile. How about you?" <laughs> but I can do that when I go to a, a meeting. meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, mm. and people share with me that I have to buy me a double whiskey or a bourbon or a jug. So look, pat me on the back. So there, there, there. They can give me words of encouragement, so on and so forth. And that, and that's what it's about. It's about changing how I am without having to use uh, mind-altering things, whether it be alcohol, gambling, bodies, whatever. It helps It helps me to... And, and, you know, there's lots of people out there like that. So, John, what would you recommend to someone who thinks they might have a drinking problem? What are some of the things they could ask themselves? Um, is your life unmanageable? Mm. I've had some people I know over the years that know that I've been sober a couple of days, and they mm-hmm. say, well, da, da 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 do you think I'm an alcoholic? And I ask them the question, mm-hmm. is your life unmanageable? Mm-hmm. And um, invariably most of them say, not at the moment, no. But <laughs> there's moments, segments of it could be, I'm sure. in trouble financially or whatever, sure. can you help me out? Da, 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 da. But is, life, is your life unmanageable? Mm. And what are some of the things that they can do? You know, what are some of the resources we have here in Canterbury that can help? Well, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, and, I, I, you know, there's, and there's other health services. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I've led to believe that some of them are very, after the earthquakes and varying other events that are happening in Christchurch, that um, they're, they're pretty packed up at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my advice to anyone, which when I meet a newcomer, when they come to a meeting, I give them my phone number, and the, and the hardest thing in the program to do is pick up a phone. But the thing is that I ask them, I ask them if you want to change your life, go to six between six and ten meetings, mm-hmm. and then make your make your own mind up. Mm-hmm. If you you think you have a problem, only you can make that decision. Yep, and listen for the yeah, similarities. For sure, mm. not the differences. Mm. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on your, you know, on our show and sharing your story. It's wonderful right. to have had yeah, you here today. Thank you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone.
We will now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant grant me the serenity serenity to accept the things things I I cannot change, change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom wisdom to know the the difference. Keep coming back. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.